As you're seated, please open the Word of God to Genesis chapter 47. God's Word is real, living and active, it's powerful. We're going to read together and then study together what God says. Beginning in Genesis chapter 47, let's start reading in verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paran to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand. And Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, Bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. 
Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Bow. My bow. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you are the perfect, faithful, holy God. Lord, we are not somewhat less than that. Father, we are greatly below who you are. God, we are humbled by who you are. And Lord, we thank you that you care for us anyway. And Lord, that you have saved us by your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would make us more like him, that you would conform us to his image as we read and study together your word, that you would implant this word deeply into our souls, which is able to save our souls. Father, that you would sanctify, make us holy, make us ready to be brought home in the name of your precious and holy Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we have been studying Genesis, and we had gone through chapter 47. We were studying what it looks like for believers to live in this world. We saw that believers, it's been a few weeks, right, since we were in chapter 47 of Genesis. Uh, we, we were reminded that we as believers are only here temporarily in this world. We're not going to be here forever. We have an eternal home that we're waiting for so that we can go to to be with our Savior, our Lord Jesus. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. So while we're here, we need to be respectful and humble toward worldly leaders. We saw that with Joseph a few weeks ago, praying for those worldly leaders, submitting to them, not putting them down. Um, and we saw that that doesn't mean just going along with sin. We, we were reminded or we learned that that doesn't mean just be okay with bad leadership or sinfulness. Uh, if we are able to have a voice in government, we should take advantage of that voice. We should um, use the privileges that we're given in the place that we live. But whatever rights as citizens that we have, we have responsibilities as citizens of Christ's heavenly kingdom to obey the commands, to be respectful, to humble, to pray for world leaders. And then we saw how involved Joseph was in worldly affairs. We saw that pattern repeated by God's people. We looked at, uh, well, we just alluded to Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael that we know a little bit, sometimes better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We saw it repeated with Esther, who didn't want to be involved with worldly affairs. No, keep me out of all of that stuff. But God had a plan for her to be involved and to use her position for good. We saw Israel was commanded to pray for Babylon when they were in exile. We looked at even Herod's household manager in the New Testament, Joanna, who supported Jesus' ministry by her position in Herod's household. We saw that Jesus prayed for our protection. While, while we are here in this world, while we're doing what he's told us to do, he prayed for our protection as he sends us out into the world so that we would be in it, but sanctified from it, set apart for his glory. And we've seen these truths lived out by Joseph and the, the people of Israel. We looked at it in chapter 47, how they are there in Egypt and not of Egypt, leaving it one day, and that's 
uh, we, we saw that those truths apply to us as well. But we stopped in chapter 47 at verse 27 because I think verse 28 is a, a better break into the next section than the chapter break of chapter 48 was, um, kind of leading into what we're talking about this morning. What is that? What are we talking about this morning? Well, Moses is wrapping up Genesis. When we're finished this morning, Lord willing, uh, we'll finish this morning. If not, that's okay because that means Jesus came back and that's better. (laughs) But if we finish this morning, we will only have two chapters left of Genesis. So so Moses is wrapping up the the book of beginnings. He's bringing to a close the final toledot, the final generation of in the book of beginnings. This is the 10th of 10. It started way back in chapter 37, and it's mostly focused on Joseph to this point as the human point of focus. And Jacob said in chapter 47 verse 9 that he was 130 years old. What's he going to do with the rest of his life, the remaining time that he has? What will come of the people of Israel when Israel dies? That's what Moses lays out in the final chapters of Genesis. And it's important to the people of Israel because they're the ones reading this after coming out of Egypt, after coming out of this land that they'd been in for 400 years, a nation within a nation. They've remained separate. They were in it, but not of it. And they're coming into their own nation, their own land that God has promised them. And as they're on their way, God is showing through Moses who they are, where they've come from, who God is what they're supposed to be doing. So we come to the end of the life of Israel, or Jacob, and what's he going to do? We saw him at the beginning of his life, the very beginning, in the womb, he was wrestling, struggling, he was fighting. We saw him as the opposite of his twin brother Esau. He was the, the conniving con artist when he stole the birthright and the blessing from Esau. We saw his conversion and his life of faith, and we've witnessed some highs and lows in that life of faith for Jacob. But what is he going to do now? Now that he's old, now that he's on what is going to be his deathbed, he knows he's not going to be around much longer. Is he just going to give it all up? Is he still going to hold to his belief in God? Is he going to live out his faith all the way to the end? Or is he going to show that really, he never really believed To begin with, what we get to see, because we just read it already, is that we know that Jacob, Israel, is giving us a prime example of living out our faith well all the way to the end. Our faith, our commitment to the Lord, that's that's what we're noticing about Jacob, but the strongest among us, the strongest faith that any of us possesses is weak and fickle compared to God's faithfulness. His goodness, His sovereignty, wisdom, the faithful, living, almighty God. He is always the focal point in the Scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, as God, God Almighty. And that will still be true here. But as an example of just a mere man's faith, we get to see Jacob live it out all the way to the end of his life. This is the idea of finishing well. Some of you are saying, well, it's finishing. I'm just beginning this is good. (laughs) It's good to think about the end while you're at the beginning. It's good to continue thinking about the end while you're walking in this life of faith. It's good to think about the end as you're looking at it. Will I finish well? 
In Acts chapter 20, Paul said that he knew that there was imprisonment and afflictions coming for him. The Holy Spirit had told him that already, but he wasn't worried about his life. The one thing Paul was worried about when he was going to imprisonment and afflictions and ultimately death was he was more concerned that he would finish the course and ministry that he had received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what he was concerned about. Will I finish well? Will I keep going? His life had started religiously, which wasn't good enough. He was regenerated. He was transformed by Jesus into a true follower. So he wanted to finish well. He wants to keep going in that life of faith. And Jacob here is finishing well. And so there are four lessons from this section at the close of Jacob's life to live out our faith well every day to the very end. The first lesson, number one, that we need to realize, that we need to learn and see from Jacob. Number one, realize the impact of your life of faith on others. Realize the impact of your life. Chapter 47, just to finish out the chapter, verses 28 to 31. Again, in verse 9, Jacob said he was 130 years old. In verse 28, it says 17 more years have passed. That means the famine is long over, right? That things are going well. But verse 29, the time drew near that Israel must die. We've talked about that before. That's God's plan for every one of us, that we will die so that we can go to be with him. Unless we're here, unless we are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord. So we need to know that. We need to rest in him all the way till then. But we see what seems to be a little strange to us in verses 29 to 31. Jacob makes his son Joseph swear that he will bury him where Abraham and Isaac are buried. And it's such a big deal that Jacob uses that same intense symbol that Abraham had used when he told his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, go to the land, put your hand under my thigh. And that's understood as a euphemism for a little bit cozier, a little bit more private than thigh. The idea there is, don't take this lightly. Promise this, swear this. This is, this is a big deal. If I am loved by you, he says, if I have found favor in your sight, promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Why is this such a big deal? Why does he make such a big deal out of his, where his body will be? The big idea, the big deal is where they are versus where they will be. To underscore the reality of where they are, Jacob mentions it twice. He says in verse 29, do not bury me in Egypt. He says again in verse 30, carry me out of Egypt. We're in Egypt, and this is where God has us by his grace for now, but we're not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. Bury me in the land where my fathers are buried. Why? Because that's the land God has promised to us. That's where we're going. That's where we'll be one day. This is a real-life lesson from Jacob, from Israel, to the people of Israel. I'm about to die, but God's going to bring you out of here one day. It's going to be about 400 years. It's going to be a while. Remember it, though. Jacob's teaching the people, I believe God's word so much, his promises, that he's going to take his people out of Egypt, that I want you to bury me there now so that you will know and believe as well. His words and his actions affect other people. He understood that. He knew that. He had seen his actions affect his family for years 
when he thought his son Joseph was dead. And he lived in chosen sorrow and depression for year after year after year. He saw that effect. So he chooses this request at the end of his life to drive this point home. You're not going to be here forever. You're going to be leaving. God said so. I believe it. You believe it. But then look at the end of verse 31. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. And you may have a footnote there to say the the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint says staff instead of bed. But what does it mean? <laughs> what does that mean? He bowed his head on the head, or he bowed himself upon the head of his bed or staff. Hebrews 11.21 actually explains it for us, what this actually means. Hebrews 11.21 says this, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head over the head of his staff. Now, Hebrews 11 is, you know, we call that the hall of faith. Uh, all of these faithful people that the writer of Hebrews calls to our attention, those who were faithful to the Lord. Jacob only shows up one time in that hall of faith. This right here, this event is the only mention of the faith of Jacob. Out of his entire life, this is the one event that epitomized faith so much to be included in this list of great acts of faith in the Lord. And the point was the posture and the reality of worship in Jacob's life. Worship is how his life closes just before he blesses Joseph's children and then his own children. So it's selected by the writer of Hebrews as the determining act of faith in Jacob's life. It's the highest point. As he was dying, he blessed them, which we'll get to in a few minutes, and then he bowed in worship. So at the end of his life, he's worshiping. He's worshiping God, and he's blessing Joseph's sons because of his faith in the word of the Lord that says, this is what's going to happen, this is what I'm going to do. And we'll look at the blessing later, but it's completely dependent on whether God's going to be true to his word. And I'm going to bless you according to that. As he's dying, he's holding fast to the word. So he blesses and he worships. So is Jacob finishing well? Is he living out his faith all the way to the end? Not only is he living it out and, he, and doing it well, he's recognized the impact that that has on other people. This is for you all to see and to know, Jacob says. So he makes that request to be buried in the promised land and he blesses the two sons of Joseph. After that, he'll have words with each of his sons in chapter 49 and then he will die. So brothers and sisters, we need to know the impact that our life of faith has on other people. Whether we're older or younger, we're impacting other people, the things that we say and the things that we do. And one of the things we need to realize is that we've got to keep in mind the impact that our missing faith or our weak faith can have on others also. You may not ever know who was watching you or who heard you say what you said or watched you do what you did. And the impact that it had, how it stayed with them, how, how that changed them. But you can be sure the impact that your life has on the people that are around you regularly, <laughs> your family, your church family, the people you work with, your neighbors, your friends. All of us affect one another. We all impact one another with our words, with our deeds. So we need to live out our life of faith for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. We're not going to be here forever either. And nothing about our life is insignificant when it's lived for the worship of God. So that's the first lesson 
The second lesson, number two, in chapter 48, verses 1 through 7, is that we need to recall the past faithfulness of God to others. Recall God's past faithfulness. After Jacob swore to his father, that, uh, Joseph swore to his father that he would bury Jacob in Canaan, apparently he went back to work, and then it wasn't long after that when somebody said, hey, your father's sick, and everybody knew what that meant. Joseph brought his two sons to his father. So he gets there, Jacob gathers all of his strength, he sits up in bed, and he begins to recall God's faithfulness to him and to all of the people, to the whole family. Where does he begin? El Shaddai, God Almighty. You need to know that God is the all-powerful God. And he appeared to me at Luz and blessed me. What? The all-powerful God blessed me. Like the, the most undeserving man there ever was of being blessed by God, he came and blessed me at Luz. And then Jacob rehearses to Joseph what God had said. And, and really, God had appeared to Jacob twice at Luz, two different times, which was renamed Bethel. It was all the way back in chapter 28, right after Jacob had deceived his father Isaac and he had run away from Esau's vengeful anger. Jacob said, if, if God will keep me and he'll bring me back to this place, he will be my God. And so when he returned later on in chapter 35, it was that second time that God revealed himself to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. And in both of those appearances, the land is promised to the many descendants of Jacob. And so it really seems that Jacob has both appearances in mind. And he says, you know, God appeared to me at loose. And, and, he, and he relives those experiences for his son Joseph, but the part that he leaves out, there's one part he leaves out. It's from chapter 35, the second time that God came to him there, when God said, kings shall come from your own body. As Jacob tells Joseph about the encounters, and even as he blesses Joseph above all the other brothers, he leaves that part out about kings coming from your own body, because the kings were not going to come through Joseph. They would come through Judah. So the point of rehashing this for Joseph is not just because he's an old man that tells the same stories over and over again, <laughs> but the point is that all that has happened and all that's happening now and all that's going to happen is because of God fulfilling his promises. He is faithful. And this is rehearsed because the word of God is what Jacob has hung his heart on, what his entire life depends on, and what their life depends on as well. God is going to come through with his promises. He's faithful. And I'm telling you this because you need to know it. And, I, and you need to learn this. All of this is, that's happening is for your good and for his glory. And that includes the easy and the good and the hard, the bad. God Almighty is faithful. He continues, I thought I lost you, but I got you back. And you have two sons. Really here he says, if Rachel hadn't died on the way to Ephrath, if, and if God had allowed it, she probably would have had more kids than just you, Joseph, and, and your brother, Benjamin. So you, Joseph, are going to become two. Your two sons will replace you in my line. Benjamin keeps his spot. All the other sons of Israel keep their spot. But Joseph is going to become two spots. He's going to take two spots in Ephraim and Manasseh. Effectively, that means Joseph receives a double blessing as if he were the oldest one. That's why Jacob mentions that Ephraim and Manasseh will be counted just like Reuben and Simeon are. The Reuben and Simeon had been the oldest, but by their actions, they've disqualified themselves for that. 
So Ephraim and Manasseh replaced them. Now you may think, well, that's a bit of a stretch. I don't see that here totally. But 1 Chronicles 5 actually explains that for us. In 1 Chronicles 5, the chronicler is about to give us a, a genealogy of Reuben, but he interrupts himself. He says, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, interruption. For he was the firstborn. But because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. Though Judah became strong among his brothers, and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. And then the chronicler goes on and gives the genealogy of Reuben. So what we need to understand here is that Jacob desires to bless Joseph with a double portion of blessing, as if he is the oldest. In terms of the land, he, he's elevating Joseph's two sons into the position of oldest and second oldest to receive the blessing, the double blessing of land. But that blessing does not replace Judah as the rightful ruler that God has selected for his people. And that's crucial because the, the rulers, the kings that come through Judah bring about eventually the ultimate ruler, the king over everyone and everything, Jesus Christ. So even as Jacob wants to bless Joseph, he's not circumventing God's plan. He's not trying to work around what God is doing, what God has said. He does not try to replace like his father Isaac had done. Remember with Isaac, he wanted to bless Esau. He wanted to give the birthright to Esau. He wanted Esau elevated above Jacob, and he had already been told that wasn't supposed to be in God's plan. So Jacob wants to bless but not replace and not work around God, but be faithful to this God Almighty. That powerful and faithful God has been powerful and faithful throughout his life, and right now he's in charge of everything that's happened and that will happen, including who's going to reign. So God's in charge, even in the difficult times when Rachel, his wife, died. So he recalls God's faithfulness to other people for their benefit so they will know that the faithful God will remain faithful during their life. And he sets that example for his family at the end of his life. It's also a big deal because that means Ephraim and Manasseh, you two who are born from an Egyptian woman, you're not Egyptians. You're from Israel. You're part of Israel. You were raised in Egyptian surroundings and and you were born to an Egyptian in, in Egypt, but you belong to God. So be faithful. Trust the faithful living God of Israel, not the gods of Egypt and the Egyptians there. So recall, brothers and sisters, recall God's faithfulness, His past faithfulness for His glory and again for the benefit of other people. This is how we continue our life of faith. This is how we end well when we continually do this, recalling God's faithfulness. Here's what Psalm 89.1 says. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Our life must speak of the Lord and our mouth must speak of the Lord. He uses both. So that's the second lesson. But it's not only God's faithfulness to tell others about. Lesson three, recognize God's blessings and pass them on to others. Verses eight through 16. Recognize his blessings. You know, Jacob could be sitting here on his deathbed, looking over his life, seeing the faithfulness of God, and being bitter about it. (laughs) Well, God's bringing this plan, but I don't get to be a part of it. (laughs) 
Jacob could be griping about God's promise that they would inherit the promised land, yet where are we? Here in Egypt. And everybody looks down on us because we're shepherds. And all we have in Canaan is a graveyard. That's the only land we possess. But we've got some of the best of the land here in Egypt. You know, he, he could be just really bitter and really angry about how things have turned out. But at the end of his life, he looks around and he recognizes God's blessings. He sees Joseph's two sons. He can't see very well. So he says, who are these? Verse 10 says his eyes, his eyes were dim with age. He couldn't see, but I mean, it doesn't mean he can't see at all. He's just not seeing well, right? So who are these? And Joseph's answer is, my sons whom God has given me. He's, he's still tracing the faithfulness of God in his own life. Jacob says, bring them here. I want to bless them. He kisses them. He gives them a hug. He embraces them in affection and blessing. Listen to Jacob's words here. See where his heart is again. He says, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Again, his eyes work. They just don't work very well, the, all of the seeing that's involved there. But the key idea here is this word, expect. I didn't expect this. Jacob thought Joseph was dead, so he had given up the prospect of ever seeing him again. But God blessed him. Do you remember how happy he was when he saw Joseph again? He said in chapter 46, now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Such a blessing to him, to see his son's face. And then the blessing was increased here. Look at verse 11, because God has let me see your offspring also. What a blessing it was. But let me ask you, brother and sister, how much of a blessing would he have recognized with different expectations? With expectations of being able to see what I want to see and go where I want to go and do what I want to do. It truly is a blessing for a man to meet and even know his grandsons, his granddaughters. For a woman to meet and spend time with her grandchildren. But how often do we take that blessing for granted and just expect it? Wow, I just, you know, I just expect for that to happen. How many other things do we take for granted just expecting that things are going to happen that we, the way that we want and when we want and how we want when they are the very blessings of God to us? How often do we recognize them if we just expect it? For instance, according to the National Safety Council, your chances of dying in a car accident every year are 1 in 103. That, that's quite a statistic, isn't it? And we know it's not chance. We know that God's in control of everything. He's sovereign. He's wise. He's good. How many of us got in the car this morning and drove here to church and made it? <laughs> it was His blessing that we made it. It was a blessing that we made it here, driving on these roads <laughs> to church this morning. But how many of us just got here and expected it to be so? You know, did we get in the car and pray before we left, God, please give us a safe journey. We're, we want to go to church. And when you got here, God, thank you, Lord, that you brought us here and you got us here safely. How many of our expectations about life, every part of life, need to be changed to instead of, I just expect it to, if the Lord wills, as James teaches us. How much easier would it be to recognize God's blessings with our expectations reset to recognizing what we deserve versus what he gives us? Jacob recognizes them. He says, look, I didn't expect any of this. This is such a blessing. 
What does he do with those blessings of God? He's at the end of his life. Maybe he just scrapes them all together and keeps them for himself. No, he says, bring your sons here so I can bless them. They each had to come to the side of the bed, one on the right, one on the left, near Jacob's knees, verse 12 says, so he could hug and kiss them. Jacob, uh, Joseph now turns to them. He brings them near to be blessed by his father, and Joseph brought them by age to be blessed. Manasseh the older is to be blessed with Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim the younger is to be blessed by his lesser left hand. Verse 14 says Jacob crossed his hands to place his hands on them differently. Now, we'll come back to that, but look at the blessing that he passes on to them. And there are three descriptions of God here. The God before whom his fathers walked. That's, that's the eternal God, the immutable God, the unchanging God, the God who was the same all the way back at Abraham's time, through Isaac's time, through Jacob's time, the never-ending, unchanging God. If you're looking for something new or innovative, God is not new. <laughs> He's not innovative in, in changing. He's the same God, but never boring, never old. It's popular today to try to change that, you know. Well, let, let's make God a little bit more palatable today. Let's make God a little bit more friendly for what we like today. No, this is the same God. Number two, the God the shepherd. Again, we see this acknowledgement of God's faithfulness. God had been Jacob's shepherd all his life, up until that very day, and Jacob knew what it meant to be a shepherd, didn't he? That's what his job was. God had guided and directed and protected every day of his life. Psalm 23 is a beautiful picture of God as shepherd. Throughout the prophets, God calls himself the shepherd of his people. Jesus even uses that picture for himself with us. God, the eternal, immutable God, is a shepherd. He cares for us. He loves us, his people. And then the third is the redeemer angel or messenger, the angel who had redeemed me from all evil. Now, Jacob had experienced lots of evil. He'd gone through a lot of different hard times, but God had redeemed him through it all, delivered him through it all. So he's not saying, you know, the God who kept me from anything bad in life, but the God who brought me through it all. And he marks out these actions as that of God through an angel, and, and we've seen how the angel of the Lord worked in Jacob's life, most memorably in chapter 32 when he wrestled with him. But he gives these three descriptions of God. God, the eternal, immutable one. God is the shepherd who is caring and loving. God as the messenger or angel who redeems me through all evil. It's a threefold understanding of who God is. And we don't want to use this as a proof text for the Trinity because it's, it's not strong enough, but I think it is a strong pointer in that direction. Look who this God is. This three in one. Because God says, when he asks this God to bless these two sons, he doesn't say, may these two gods and this angel bless these two sons. It's a, single, it's a singular verb. Bless these two sons. Bless these sons, these boys. There is one God who is the sovereign, wise, good, faithful, living, almighty God. But there are three descriptions of him here, and he uses those descriptions to ask God to bless these sons. This God has blessed Jacob faithfully, but now he asks that God to give those blessings to these two young men. How? Let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac be carried on through them. The blessing of God in the covenant that he made with Abraham that passed on to Isaac, that passed on to Jacob, that he's asking God to pass on to these others is that chapter 12, verse 2, I will make your name great. Wow. Pass that blessing. My name be carried on through them. 
And second, let them grow in a, into a multitude in the midst of the earth. That's another part of that blessing, specifically from God to his people. Make them a part of your people, God. It's a very specific promise. And Jacob asks that God would include these two boys in that covenant, that, that promise, the fulfillment of God's word. So he passes on those blessings of God to Ephraim and Manasseh. Can you recognize blessings from God to you, brother, sister? Can you, will you pass those on to the people around you? Recognize and pass them on. This is not in your notes, but Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's what he tells us to do. So as you live out your life of faith, you desire to finish well, realize the impact that your life has on others. Recall God's faithfulness to others while you recognize his blessings and pass those on as well. But finally, number four, the last one here in verses 17 to 22, run within your God-given circumstances. Run within them. When Joseph saw that his father Jacob had crossed his arms like that so that he would put his right hand on the younger son and his left hand on the older, he, he interrupted his father mid-blessing. He says, whoa, stop the whole thing. You're doing it wrong, dad. Verse 20, he actually gets around to completing the blessing, but he stops him right in the middle. And, and he doesn't just stop him. He takes his hand. He's like, move it over here. It, it says it displeased him. Literally, it was evil in his eyes. It was, it was evil or wrong in his eyes. You're doing it wrong. Jacob says, I know, my son, I know. Remember that Isaac had lost most of his sight, and Jacob had used that to take advantage of him. Jacob here has lost most of his sight, but he's not deceived, and he's not making a mistake. He is going along with God's plan over man's plan. Manasseh will become a people, he will be great, but his younger brother Ephraim will be greater than he. His offspring will be a multitude or fullness of nations. And verse 20 makes it clear. He puts Ephraim before Manasseh. Well, that's just not the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> that's, that's not the way we've always done it. You know, God doesn't work the way that we think he's supposed to. And we've seen it happen over and over again in Genesis. Ishmael, who was older, versus Isaac the younger. Isaac was chosen. Esau the older versus Jacob the younger. Esau was not chosen. And Paul makes it clear in Romans 9 that Jacob was chosen over Esau by God before they had ever done anything right or wrong. Now we can kind of add a little bit of justification to that. Well, look how Esau turned out. You know, God knew what he was doing, right? But that's not what Paul said there. Here with Ephraim and Manasseh, there's nothing that either one of these two young men have done right or wrong to deserve to be blessed at all, and yet God blesses both of them. And there's nothing that either has done to be blessed one over the other, except that in man's thinking, Manasseh is supposed to be blessed more than Ephraim. But God says, in his grace, I've chosen to bless both of them and one more than the other, not the way that you thought. That should be encouraging to us that God brings his blessing despite us not deserving it, despite not earning it. Because if we could deserve it, if we could earn God's blessing, then I guarantee you that I would be the first to lose and undeserve his blessing. He gives it to us unmerited, undeserved his favor to us. It's, if it's not that, then it's payment given to those who earn it. And the Bible never teaches that's what God's grace is. So Jacob knows by this point in his life not to just go along with convention or tradition. I'm going to be guided by what God says, God's word. 
So Jacob ran with it. You know, this isn't man's way, but it's God's way. So in the words of today, let's go. <laughs> right? Things don't always go the way that you expect, the things that you want. You, you make out your plans and you go out carefully and we're going to do it this way. And then God says, that's, fu- that's nice, that's funny. <laughs> well, actually, it's actually going to go this way, right? Remember that hall of faith we were talking about in Hebrews 11? In Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews pulls us back to that. He says, since we have such a cloud of witnesses, these faithful men and women that we've talked about all throughout Hebrews 11, he says in chapter 12, they surround us and they call us onward. So let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, sometimes we look around and we think, I'd like a different race, God. (laughs) You look at somebody else's race and you think, man, that that looks a lot easier, (laughs) a lot more enjoyable for that person in, in, in his race, in her race. The race that is set before us is the one given to us by the faithful, good God. So follow this example of faith. Lay aside sin. Run with endurance this race that you have. How? He says, by looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, the one who founded and the one who ended well. Look to Jesus. Again, both of these sons are blessed Verse 20, Jacob finishes the blessing. They will be so blessed that when people want to bless others, they'll say, may God bless you like he did Ephraim and Manasseh. That's how big of a blessing that that these two young men received. By the way, Ephraim would be blessed by multitudes and strength, but they would eventually use it to rebel against Judah and God's chosen line. When When the kingdom was split, the tribe of Manasseh itself would be divided by the Jordan River. Half wanted to stay on the side uh, of the Jordan, the other half went across with the other people into the promised land. But Jacob realized the impact of his life on, on other people, his, his life of faith. He, he recalled God's faithfulness for their benefit. He recognized God's blessings in his life and he passed them on to others. And then he ran with what God had for him in his life rather than trying to do his own thing. And then he had that final gift for Joseph. It was a mountain slope that he had taken with a sword and bow. And we don't have that account in Genesis but he gives that to them. So our application, think about the end. Think about the end. You know, I don't want to think about that. It's, it's too hard to think about the end. I'm, I'm at the beginning, or I'm in the middle, or that's scary to think about. It's not scary. But what is the goal of your life? Where are you heading in your life? What is your goal? Where are you heading? Do you expect to get to that place, or do you humbly ask God for it? But then if someone were to look at you in your life, if they were to come alongside, just listen to the words you say and watch the direction that you're going, the the choices that you make, your deeds in your life, your words, if they were to listen and to hear and to watch, what would they say is the goal of your life? What would they see as where you're heading? We want to be able to finish like Jacob. We want to be able to say with Paul in 2 Timothy 4, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come because we don't know when that will be. Again, that could be when we get in our car and we head out onto these roads out here today. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, Paul says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what we want to be able to say. That's the direction that we're all heading, to, to, to love his appearing. Whether we see his appearing, whether we see him when we die here on this earth, or whether we see his appearing when he comes back for us. To fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. Father, we pray that for each person in here, God, that, that knows you already. Father, that has believed in Jesus Christ, has turned from sin to receive your grace, eternal life. Father, for any here who have not known Jesus as Lord and Savior, God, we pray that you would work in their heart and mind. God, that as we're confronted with life, with death, Father, with the reality that that's where all life ends because of sin, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and minds to reject sin, Father, to turn to you in faith and repentance, to believe in Jesus Christ, your, your Son, our Savior. God, would you work that in each of our hearts and minds? God, would you renew that within us, your people? God, renew the joy of your salvation within us. God, we pray that you would use us. We pray that you would find us faithful, that you would keep us faithful to the end. God, thank you for each brother and sister in here and how they have impacted me, Father, in my life. As I've seen them, as I've heard them, as I know many but not all. God, I pray that you would help us to, to grow together as one, as you and your son are one. And God, we look forward to when you will bring us home to be with you forever. And the only thing that we won't have to worry about is sin. No brokenness, no sickness, no sin. Everything that sin brought, God, you'll restore your perfect image in us that we can worship you forever and ever for your glory, for your praise as you deserve. We look forward to that day and we ask that Jesus would come that he would come quickly. Maranatha. Amen.